You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 134, and we are talking about the 1990 film Men at Work. This film is written and directed by Emilio Estevez, who also directed 1986's Wisdom, 96 The War at Home. In the year 2000, he directed Rated X, and then he also wrote Wisdom, and he wrote The Way, and in 06, he wrote Bobby. So very, very prolific in addition to his uh, acting career. This film stars uh, his he and his brother, Charlie Sheen, Leslie Hope, Keith David, and John Getz. The DP was Tim Sertic. I apologize, Tim. <laughs> Do cinematographers have more difficult to pronounce names? It feels like it to me. <laughs> it feels like it. Um, I've, I've stumbled over this last name before because uh, he also was a cinematographer for 1989's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Party on, dude. One of my huge favorites, 88's Mystic Pizza, and the 2006 Idiocracy. So 88, 89, 90, he had a good run right he, there. He did, and those are just his biggest films. Right. So I just picked three because I don't... If you, you pick want. three good ones. Yeah. Filming locations are Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach, and all around the Los Angeles area. The synopsis for this film is two garbage men uncover a conspiracy involving illegal toxic waste dumping and decide to bring the whole operation down. The tagline for this film is two garbage men who know when something smells funny. That's a little bit like there's something rotten in Denmark. I'm, I'm down with it. Yeah. The other one is cleaning up in August at theaters everywhere, but yeah, like the first one better. Yeah. So um, one little bit of trivia that I didn't mention in the actors starring in this film is the pizza guy is my favorite actor from summer school, Dean Cameron. Icebreaker had to be done. Had to be done. No, it's a tension breaker. Oh, tension breaker. Yeah. He screams and he goes, tension breaker had to be done. You know that film a little bit better than I do. To be honest, I probably mostly remember Courtney Thorne Smith. Oh, right. Yes. Yes, one of my favorites. We'll have to cover it at some point. Oh, yeah, Mark Harmon. Mm-hmm. Why don't you kick us off with your pickup line, and we'll we'll head into this movie. I can't support this activity any longer, Max. Mm, who's? It, that's a given by Jack Berger, the councilman, who is then offed. So it, it, it's... um. Uh, it it's kind of works, right? Because it talks about the, the toxic waste dumping cannot continue. So it's halfway there. Yeah. So we talked just briefly before we jumped on the microphones that this is an indie movie. I will say yes, based on the budget that I will discuss later when we discuss the numbers. It definitely, I believe, qualified even in 1990 as at least... Indie-ish. <laughs> well, I would say, with apologies to Kevin Smith, if there's writer, director, editor, whatever—I mean, I don't know if Emilio edited no. this, but writer, director—that that you get you get indie points for that. 
right? Yeah. I feel like the cinematography, while I didn't, there wasn't anything glaring about it, it did have a little bit rougher of a quality. I think there was some parts of, I don't know, props or it just, it kind of had that low budget vibe to it. For example, they used some stock footage for a dump at one point, and it was very obviously stock footage that didn't match the shot that followed it. So, yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Can we take a crew out to the dump? No, just buy, just buy some footage. <laughs> yeah. So the opening scene, I'm sure, was done in a swimming pool, but we're made to think that it's the ocean and there's a horrible evil company that is dumping these yellow barrels that amongst the seaweed and the fish so that we have this extra element of what is actually at stake, not just the water being polluted, but wildlife being killed probably right when they're talking to the councilman who ends up getting offed. This is a pretty broadly drawn film. So either Emilio just like has a a, a broad sense of humor or he thinks the viewers are stupid because it's, you know, he talk about hanging a lampshade on it. There's a lot of stuff in this film that's, I think, actually comically on the nose, right? Mm-hmm. He was cutting his teeth. This was his first, and he got much better as, as years went on. Well, I wasn't saying that as a criticism. I, I think this is a fine film. Right. So he, he said he wrote this, he was living in a studio apartment in Santa Monica at the time, and he was up late one night working at the kitchen table, writing some story ideas. And all of a sudden the trash truck came roaring down the alley under his window and it was 5 a.m. and it just struck him. No one has ever done a movie about trash men before. And so. Yeah. And and I think they are pretty appealing trash men. I don't know how realistic it is to the actual job of trash men. Yeah. Uh, If you had to be a trash man, I think uh, James St. James and what Carl Taylor, I think they, they would be decent co-workers. Charlie Sheen's character, Carl, makes it known early in the film that he hates politicians. And that comes to play, I think, later when they discover that the politicians are kind of involved in this. You know, they come across the dead body and as they try to investigate what has happened to this person and where he came from, I think when they find out that it's politicians, it's like, well, of course, because, you know, they're horrible people. And we know that he's established this previous idea that he doesn't like politicians. Given their father's stance with (laughs) politicians, I think, you know, you kind of see where that might come from. My question is, timing wise, where was Weekend at Bernie's relative to this film? Because Jack Berger, the councilman who is assassinated, but then his dead body makes some more appearances in, in a very, what I would consider weekend at Bernie's kind of way. The year before it came out, 1989. Okay, so maybe they did hadn't necessarily seen it when they wrote the script, but they maybe saw it before they, they shot. Yeah, very much so it had that vibe, but we know another indie film that used that same trope of the dead body as kind of like the puppet. Right. Which is kind of hilarious. It's not used as much as maybe it could be. So I'll have to think about that for another screenplay. Yeah. I wish I could post that film. Our oldest made a film that had a very weekend at Bernie's vibe. And he says he didn't ever, he never saw it. It was not influenced by weekend at Bernie's, but it's got some pretty comical 
comically placed music that is not YouTube friendly. It's copyrighted music. And so I can't post it, but I wish I could because it'd be funny. Yeah, we could have a screening. So for those of you who are willing to come by a local <laughs> venue, we can four wall it. There you go. I thought it. I had a blast from the past as early on. I believe in the film, Emilio is drinking Jolt Cola and I, I totally remember buying Jolt Cola. It was like the cool thing because in the trivia, it states that when Carl joins James in their garbage truck for the first time, James gives a jolt to Carl and has one for himself. Jolt Cola is renowned as the soft drink as, oh, as the soft drink with the most caffeine, although this is pre Red Bull. Mm. So I don't know how this stands up to Red Bull. I could maybe find out and put it in the show notes, but Jolt at the time had 280 milligrams, twice that of Coke or Mountain Dew and equal to two cups of coffee. So that was kind of a fun little blast from the past. I think their slogan was all the sugar and twice the caffeine, if I remember correctly. And fun fact, I, I don't know the exact milligrams, but those big cans of Rockstar Energy Drink, which has a lot of caffeine in it, I think it's about 20. If you drink 20 in a row, you could induce tachycardia in your heart. So don't do that. Listeners out there, take a little easy on the Red Bulls and the Rockstars. Is there anything else in cinematography that you would like to note? Well, we do track montages on this show, and there is a picking up garbage montage. But my only other note is there's a wide of a pigeon on the beach, and I was curious if that indicated the presence of a pigeon wrangler or just a happy accident. I mean, in my mind's eye, I see him sending the second unit out. We need footage of a pigeon. Like in a lot of films, I noticed that as soon as they discover that dead body in the barrel, uh, okay, I'll give them that there wasn't cell phones, but I would assume that they had a radio ability to... Yeah, from the truck, back from to the, the dispatcher. Truck back. Yeah, yeah. So they could have called dispatch and said, we're at this address, I need you to call the cops. But that would have ended the film right there. Yeah, the excuse given in the film is that the bicycle cops had it out for them. However, I don't think that police can generally just say there's a dead body, thus you did it. But then maybe there's members of certain communities who would say, oh, no, that happens all the time. Right. But, yeah, that was a little bit contrived that, that, that the bicycle cops would try to pin the murder on them. But And, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the bicycle cops aren't the homicide unit. <laughs> <laughs> no, so no. new police officers would come on on the scene that you don't have a past with. Right. And it's my understanding that generally you have to have a lot of experience to make it up to detective to investigate murders. So they presumably w- would not be distracted by the trash men. Right. And so the bicycle cops were like, but these guys are dicks. They're like, okay, but that doesn't mean they committed a crime. <laughs> That's separate from this other thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then they touch, you know, the dead body and everything. And so it was just like, all right, well, now you are. Now don't call the cops because all of your DNA is <laughs> all over this dead body. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, it, it is for comedy in the movie. However, I think the vast majority of people 
want no contact with a dead body. Now, perhaps Amelia would argue they're trash men. They've established that they deal with gross things all the time. And so perhaps that makes sense. Good point. Because in one of those montages, they show them sweeping out the truck at the end of the day, which has to be the worst job in the world. Um, Amelia calls it something horrible. Like, it's time to do the horrible thing or something. And if that was the case, but what I didn't know that what I would do if I was them is I would tilt the, the back up a bit and just hose it down from a safe distance. I agree. In the film, there's two other trash people that they play practical jokes on. Right. Let's call them Iceman and Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of research as far as YouTube rabbit holes that I could go down, but I did find one interview And the interviewer asks if they played practical jokes on the set. And so, unfortunately, I think this is a precursor to Charlie's future behavior. Hashtag winning. But uh, he did, he was proud of one prank that he pulled on his poor brother. I can't imagine, you know, like the, (laughs) the director. Charlie comes to set that morning and he starts laying the groundwork and he says that he was out the night before and at a bar and somebody came at him. And so he got in this bar fight. And so he was kind of at, throughout the day telling stories about how he punched the sky and they're in the middle of a scene later in the day and a cruiser drives up with a police officer who says, are you Charlie Sheen? And he says, yes. And he goes, you're under arrest. And so They take him away, and as the car is pulling away, he shouts, call my lawyer. And Emilio spins on his heels and says, can we shoot the coverage with his double? (laughs) And so he basically drives around the corner, and and Emilio's trying to scramble and figure out how can he at least preserve the day or save, save the day. Good director. Yeah. And then... Charlie walks around, you know, after they've driven around the block, he walks up with one handcuff or a handcuff on one hand. And he's like, ah, gotcha. So I'm sure. <laughs> and so Emilio swore to get even in a, in an even, you know, like, oh, you know, yeah. they're brothers. So you got to raise the stakes. Yeah. See, I, I'll get you back. I think I, I would hire one of the security guys to just punch Charlie in the nuts. <laughs> okay. We're going to put an end to this. So I think, unfortunately, Charlie had maybe even spent some time in the back of a police cruiser prior to this, but I believe that he spent some time after this. And so did their father, although I think that was just for protesting, not for drunken bar fights, to my knowledge. Mm -hmm. So the Sheens were familiar with the backseat. So it got very silly near the end with the chase and the dead body and the pizza guy and the traumatized vet and people tying up people in homophobic positions and... The birds chirping when somebody got hit on the head. And so it it got a little silly near the end, kind of a little Benny Hill-ish for me. It didn't feel in line with the tone at the beginning. Interesting. Yeah, I, I do. I do think of this as a fairly broadly drawn comedy, but that's a good point with the original Toxic Waste. Was that a little darker? I didn't. I actually thought... It was that was for comic effect too, because little things like the evil villain has little miniature yellow toxic waste drums on his desk as a prop. And what villain would do that, 
Right. So to me, it was, again, very broadly drawn. And as I'm speaking, I realize perhaps it was really targeting an audience that was, how shall we say, prepared for comedy. Maybe they had the munchies, weren't quite as quick on their feet. That maybe was the target audience. Major League was in 89. And that's a very silly comedy that Charlie (laughs) was in. Yeah, yeah. So it's possible that Emilio was... I mean, now I think of him as doing very political or very serious or very dramatic kind of things. I mean, Wisdom is very dramatic. Do you remember that movie with... You probably didn't watch it because it's not your type of movie. It had Demi Moore in it, but I didn't watch it. It's basically a modern-day Bonnie and Clyde. They were... I don't think they were bank robbers, I think late 80s, early 90s, if it wasn't a comedy, it was really driven by whether there was nudity in it. So I probably didn't see that one. Unable to find work after a past felony, graduate John Wisdom and his girlfriend embark on a cross-country bank robbing spree in order to aid American farmers. Yeah, that's right on, on Branford's dad's work. Yeah, it's a it's a drama. It's very... it's it's. It's very sad. It doesn't end well as my memory goes. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I don't think they do. But anyway, so all that to say is I remember him doing kind of later more dramas and not these like slapsticky or like, you know, airplane major league type um, comedies, which I love. But and so I felt like this one was aspiring to that, but I don't feel hit the mark. Oh, I would disagree. uh, But perhaps again, (laughs) target demo. (laughs) So, um, was there any other writing things that you want to bring up? Well, I, I did mention that the, uh, the little things on the desk, there's also a part where the bad guy gives his full legal name before he sends him off to be killed. I thought that was <laughs> uh, not, not really the best. They, they had some kind of classic gags, in my opinion, airbag rig to the glove compartment, actually not common it looks like she's doing something different to him when she's helping him with his clothes gag and then they have the days since someone involved in an accident sign gag so um some again just i i would say broadly broadly drawn when he mentioned he was up at night when you wrote this uh, maybe there was some altered <laughs> states involved right and just if nothing else just he's delirious like tired right I, so there's some factual things which I, I think show that it's really not intended to be taken too serious. If you wore wetsuits under your, your, your coveralls, you would probably die of heat prostration by the time you got to the end of your shift, especially in L.A. And I thought it was interesting that the character played by Keith David, I forget his name, Lewis maybe? I can tell you in a minute, please. Yes, Lewis, good memory. At that time, right in 1990, Vietnam vets were probably still in the consciousness but is not necessarily uh, again a very sensitive portrayal of people struggling <laughs> when they came back from vietnam and and there's a part there um he uh, uses a word that we don't use anymore and they had the music cue a la 16 candles so it was not a very particularly sensitive film and i think those are a couple things that emilio probably would do differently today And I really think the toxic waste is almost a MacGuffin in that I think it only serves as a reason for them to get into comic hijinks. Other than that, I don't really think it has anything to do with anything. Platoon came out in 86. 
Good Morning Vietnam came out in 87. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, 75 was when nominally the U.S. left Vietnam. So the Keith David character would have been back for 15 to 20 years. So I think that tracks. And again, the viewing audience at that time would get that reference. I don't think it's evergreen, though. I don't think that... The, really? Yeah, like the next generation. I don't think they would get the clues that he was a Vietnam veteran. That's curious, because I feel like maybe it's because, like I said, 86, 87, we had two movies, and then 96 is when Forrest Gump came out, which had a big chunk of it that was about Vietnam. So, I, I mean, it would be curious, but I feel like our kids would know who are in their early 20s would know what those are references to, but maybe they would just think a war and they wouldn't think specifically that yeah, war. What, what I, I guess maybe what I should have said to be more clear is uh, Keith David's character is wearing that olive drab kind of, uh, you know, blouse or overshirt. And I don't think that's a visual cue for their generation like it would be for ours. Oh, I'm going to have to do a poll at our game night coming up. Oh, there you go. I'm curious. All right. Well, speaking of costumes, you pointed out, which I thought was very astute, that I believe it was later in the film, but this may have even happened early in the film, but at some point, bad guys, we don't know, well, that they're guys because they're in head-to-toe bunny suits, as we call them, (laughs) hazmat suits with gas masks, and standing right next to him is like the lead bad guy. Yeah, the bad guy. And he's wearing a three-piece suit. <laughs> yeah. Can't be that toxic. He's standing right there. I thought that was very astute of you. So the costuming in this film also, by the way, uh, has a bit of a cameo. I was talking to a person of this uh, aforementioned younger generation and trying to explain why ladies in the 80s were the best-looking decade. And so I used a photo, a still of Susan, uh, the actor is Leslie Hope is the actress Mm -hmm. in her peach colored suit with gigantic shoulder pads Mm -hmm. and her red hair perm as an example of why 80s ladies are the best looking. (laughs) You love that era. And the younger fella did not agree. He's wrong, (laughs) but he didn't agree. Did you notice who put together the soundtrack for this film and who did music for this film? I didn't know, but given the era, I would think either Elfman or Mothersbaugh. Stuart Copeland. Oh, that's right. Stuart Copeland from The Police. Yeah. Yeah. So I recognized that name in the credits, and I'm sure that it was that he did extra music for. Mm -hmm, I can't mm -hmm. remember if there was any... Have to look up the soundtrack. Well, you know, uh, interesting connection because uh, one of those other punters in that band went on to do music for Emperor's New Groove. Yes, I, I forget that guy's name. I wonder whatever happened to him. He's having sex with his wife. Um, must have been doing so for a long time. So there was a Ziggy Marley song, which uh, which supports, by the way, my theory that this yeah. is for the herbal American. Yeah, I'm not now. I'm not seeing Copeland's. Well, it may not if if he just scored it right. Right. Um, if it's not a song that was released on the radio, on the it's probably not listed there. Um, is there anything that you want to talk about before we get into our categories here at the end? I had one question about the set, 
uh, I, I put this under sets, but this is general art department. What did they use as cinematic poo for all those pranks? It easily could have been just like brownie mix, like, you know, pre-baked. Yeah, that would it be preferable, just, I think. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I didn't know, like chocolate pudding, you see people yeah. sometimes try to use. Chili, yeah. right? It was disgusting. Yeah. I mean, it, they sold it on screen. The art department did fantastic. But then I just thought the poor guy that had to mix that stuff Had to up. mix it. Yeah. Well, is that guy have the worst job or the actors who got it sprayed at them? Mm, good point. <laughs> just saying. I think nobody really won there. No. All right. Was there any head trauma in this film? There was two incidents that I noticed. One is that uh, Lewis rams our good friend Dean Camera's head as the pizza delivery guy through the wall at one point. And then Susan slaps Carl twice. How about a smoochie? Did anybody get lucky? Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. Susan kisses Carl at the beach when they go kind of at night and they're rolling around there. And then Carl kisses Susan after he rescues her at the end of the film. And I know that we have a garbage truck, but how about a driving review? Yeah, we got some some driving stuff here. The uh, Silver 87 Saab 900 Turbo tells us that Jack Berger, the councilman, is super bougie. Right, to drive the Saab, especially in 90, uh, very bougie. Those Kenwood LCF2 trash trucks, I am not expert at trash truck, so I don't know exactly whether that is um, accurate for the era, but I would say I don't believe they were uh, brake by wire, so pouring acid on one of the ignition wires under the dashboard would not affect the brakes. Don't know exactly what the director was intending there. Emilio, feel free to give me a call and we can talk about that. I thought it it was interesting that the mobsters have 77 Cadillac, which is a traditional mobster car. But why does their vanity plate say Hitman? Seems a little obvious for Hitman to drive around with a car (laughs) labeled Hitman. Right. And that's where it feels like he was kind of swinging for a very silly comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what did Jay Leno say? Comedy is hard. <laughs> uh, Susan drives this red '61 Chevrolet Corvette C1. Um, how does a campaign manager afford that car? That's a pretty vintage classic car for her to drive around. Hopefully, they used a derelict one for when the car encounters a boo boo, and then. I did have two safety notes. One, they get into basically a cage fight in the cab between Lewis and Carl and James. Don't do that while operating motor vehicle. Fight outside the vehicle. That's a standard procedure. Pull over, get out, then fight. But more importantly, no one, absolutely no one in this film wears their safety belts. And there's even a scene where Susan and Carl crash into something while not wearing safety belts, which would have been extremely injurious if not fatal so again listeners wear those safety belts shall we go to the numbers let's go to the numbers so this film had a budget of nine million dollars before i say what the scores are on imdb and rotten tomatoes what would you give this film oh i think i did give this film uh an eight on imdb yeah you love this from before yes yes shout out to listener joe (laughs) I remember 
because I had a massive crush on, well, both Estevez brothers, but mostly Emilio back in the day. And I watched this with bated breath and was a little up, like, I didn't like it as much as you did. Were you a 20-year-old stoner male? No. Mm, yeah, it may not have been for you. Right. I just liked being able to see Emilio throughout the, for two hours, or for an hour and 38 minutes. Right, right. Uh, fair enough. But, so I would probably give it like a six or seven today. IMDb gives it a 5.9 out of 10. They were robbed. Let's just say a six. Let's just call it six. Okay. Critics gave it, it's rotten at 32%. What? And audiences gave it 44%. Again, not the target demo. <laughs> I bet if you find the right crowd, that's much better. It. It's a lot fresher. We would love to hear from our fans, like, you know, or okay. at least our <laughs> listeners. Maybe you, yeah, don't so have to, you don't have to be a fan. Just tell me what you thought. The poor listeners that I have contact info for may get, get <laughs> uh, pestered uh, about this film to see where they land. But listener Joe and I both fondly remember this film. I, I think, again, early 20s males, it, it probably, it, it's a very niche kind of yeah. humor. We we really quite enjoyed it. Emilio cut his teeth on this film and he got better. So Yeah, you keep saying that, but I still think it's a good film. <laughs> it's not like he, he, he did poorly and he got better. This is I, a fine film. I just watched The Way because they re-released it in theaters. And it is such a good movie. He needs to make more films like this film, Minute Work, and less like The Way. <laughs> so this one, um, if you want to give it a try, it's only going to cost you an hour and 38 minutes. It's rated PG-13. It's labeled as an action comedy crime. It made domestically $16.1 million. So he won. Like, even if you doubled it for marketing, that would be 18 and. So I guess he was a little bit shy of that. But adjusted for today, that would be like a film making $35.1 million. So not like, it's no Barbie movie, but... In, it's far better than the Barbie <laughs> I movie. I meant in gross sales. But still, like, respectable. And, and it... And it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there you have it. There's our th- second movie for this month. Write in and give me a guess of what you think, of what you think the theme for this month is. And I will put the email in the show notes. We no longer have a phone number, but you can email us. But never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, Leave a comment and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies.